Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you this day is in your hands, this day of worship. What a glorious day, Lord, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ can come together. We can study your word together this morning and we can worship you. We can sing songs and hymns and worship you for all you've done and for who we are in Christ. Lord, thank you we can study the book of Galatians. Help me to teach it faithfully and truthfully. And Lord, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and teach us from your word. In Christ's holy name, amen. Well, we're back in Galatians, of course. We're, today we're studying chapter 5 again in verses 13 through 15. So I said this a couple of weeks ago. But Paul really does kind of shift gears now, and he's really going to become much more practical in the last part of chapter 5 and chapter 6. Because you know what's coming, right? The fruits of the Spirit, some of those great things. So whereas we've been seeing a lot of the words about law and all of, all of that, justice and so forth, now we're going to see those words so much more of faith and love and serving one another and Paul's going to teach us a whole lot about the Holy Spirit because Paul's going to teach us how we ought to function together in the body of Christ. So which, which of the Beatles was it that they wrote that song, All You Need Is Love? Was that a McCartney song? Who knows that? John Lennon? Okay. All you need is love, right? And what's the moral ethic these days? People teach us just... Do the loving thing, right? If people love each other, they can do whatever they want to. Well, that's just not really the Christian ethic, is it? And Paul's going to talk about love. And we're going to talk a lot about that this morning, but about the true Christian ethic of love and what it means. That is serving one another. So I have a summary statement, kind of trying to summarize these verses together. For the believer, that's us who know Christ, Christ frees us from slavery to sin in order that we might serve one another in the church through love and thus fulfill the heart of God's law. We are going to kind of talk about God's law just a little bit, but it's going to be an interesting twist from Paul now about the law of God and how we fulfill it by serving one another. So we talked about this in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 5. We learned a couple of weeks ago, right, that we've been freed from bondage to sin. Christ freed us, right? And now verses 13 through 26, the last half of the chapter, Paul's going to teach us for what purpose Christ freed us from sin. What's our mission in life, basically here in the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit indwells us. Again, we're going to hear a lot about the Holy Spirit in the last part of this book. He indwells us so that we might walk with him. There's a great book, an old book called Keeping in Step with the Spirit. It was written by J.I. Packer who wrote Knowing God, and it's a lively book. He teaches a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit in us, but we walk with the Holy Spirit, and he produces the fruits of righteousness in us that start with loving one another in the body of Jesus Christ. By this, as our Lord said, Jesus said this, by this, if we love one another and serve one another, all men will know that we are his disciples. Now, there's an interesting twist on this. As we talk about love and serving one another, the Judaizers, we'll come back to those Judaizers, right? Those people who were trying to bring the Galatians into bondage 
to the law, the Judaizers might have claimed to Paul, you could just hear this argument to Paul, Paul, these Judaizers, if you teach all this freedom, that they're free from the law, they're free in Jesus Christ, they're just going to use it for this big word, antinomianism. See anybody know what antinomianism is? What's antinomianism? No law or against law. Yeah, no law. So they're just going to use it for lawlessness, right, and for moral license. And if you think about, if you, you historians know much about the culture of Greece and Rome in those days, you know what kind of moral license was just common. It was just accepted and almost normal in those days. People had many lovers, affairs. This was just considered to be normal. And uh, homosexuality was rampant. I mean, it, it makes what's going on nowadays look pretty mild. It was, it was absolutely rampant. So those Judaizers might have claimed to Paul, if you, if you teach this, that they're freed from the law, they're just going to do all of these things, Paul, and justify those things. But that's not what Paul teaches us, right? And we're going to learn that today. Paul teaches us that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. We won't live that way because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. In fact, we're servants of Christ, right? We're now freed from the law, freed from sin, but we're enslaved to Jesus Christ. We're enslaved to Jesus Christ. And in fact, Paul even repeats much of the Ten Commandments throughout his letters, you know. So there are, there's still a great guide for us. They're there for us as to how we might know God and serve Him and honor Him. So let's read our passage. Let's go to Galatians 5, verse 13 through 15. I'll give you a second to turn there. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So let's look at verse 13. Paul says, for you were called to freedom. We're going to talk about freedom in just a moment, but there's a word in there that we ought to think about as we start looking at this verse, and that's the word called. What does it mean that we were called? So called is kind of a common word in the New Testament. But let's look at a couple of verses that give us a little bit of insight into what it means that we're called. Let's look at John 10 in verse 3. From our Lord himself. And, you know, we talked about this passage a little bit last time. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And Jesus says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. So who's doing the calling? The shepherd. Jesus is doing the calling. And who is he calling? His sheep. So that's kind of a picture of us, isn't it? Jesus is our great shepherd, 
And Jesus is the one who does the calling and calls us. That is a beautiful illustration of our salvation, isn't it? That's a beautiful illustration of God's work in our hearts when we come to know Jesus Christ. That's why I wanted to talk about this a minute because Paul addresses those Galatians. Intentionally, he wants them to know you're called by God. And you know what that means? That means we were part of God's plan from before the foundation of the world. That's right. God purposed that he would save you. We've talked about this many times. That's why he sent Jesus into the world to die for us, but it was all part of his purpose. It wasn't like Jalen decided one day, I'm just going to come to Christ. God called you, didn't he? He called us, or Jim, or Paul, or whoever else, everybody. I can't pick on just the men, but Kelly, all, the, he, all of us, he called. God worked in our hearts. The Holy Spirit opened our hearts, and that's God's calling. He called us to himself. And guess what? When God calls us, we come, don't we? When God opens our hearts and we see Christ, we come. His calling, some people say it's an effectual calling. That is, it affects the purpose God intended, and that is to save us. But that's a glorious thing to know that we are called of God. That should make you feel very special as a believer, that God loved me. God called me. He reached down and called me by name. That's who we are. We're the called of God. There's also a beautiful illustration of this in Acts 16. This is a verse I really love, 1614. Lydia, you know, Paul is in Philippi going to the riverbank, the riverbank prayer meeting, right? The riverside prayer meeting. And Paul goes there hoping he might preach the gospel. And uh, there are women there. And uh, in verse 14, it says, And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, he doesn't use the word call, but that's it. That's the beautiful example of God's call. God opens our hearts. He calls us, and we come to him. And so you know what happened to Lydia? She was saved. She wanted to be baptized. She and her household came to know Christ, and they were baptized. There were some other uses of the word called, too. Paul talks about being called to be an apostle. So there are other things where God has purposes in our lives, what he wants to do with us in our lives. And sometimes that's being called to the ministry. It might be being called to become an elder in the church. But God has purposes, and it might be that he's called you to serve in the nursery, or he's called you to lead a small group, or he's called you to serve in women's ministry. But God has these purposes he works out in our lives. So it's pretty special that we know that we're the called of God. But in this verse, what does he say? We're called to what? Freedom, I heard it. Yeah, we talked a lot about that a couple of weeks ago, so we won't go back through that in detail, but what are we freed from? Sin, that's right. And what are we freed to? We're freed from sin, but now we're freed to do what? We're freed to Christ, right? We're freed to serve him. We're freed from our slavery to sin, but now we're servants of Jesus Christ. We're servants of God, and we're servants of one another now in the church of Christ. I'll read that Luther quote from you again. This is such a beautiful quote from Martin Luther. Luther said, a Christian is perfectly free, just like Paul says, free Lord of all, subject to none. Think about that. As Christians, we're not subject 
law, we're not subject to sin, we're subject to none in that sense. But then, Paul, then uh, Luther goes on to say, a Christian is perfectly dutiful servant, servant of all, subject to all. That is, we are subject to all, to one another in the body of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that a lot here in just a second. So we're called to freedom, our salvation and deliverance from bondage to sin. We talked about this great passage. Look at Romans 8. Let's go there again and read this. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So think about this word flesh, because we're going to come right back to this word flesh here in just a second. But Paul is teaching us here that we who are saved, we who know God, have been delivered from the flesh. We don't walk according to the flesh anymore, but we walk according to the Spirit. So there's one other word in this first phrase of Galatians 13, 513, that I think we need to look at. And it's just a simple word. And I, I look at these words, and as you study, as you study the New Testament, this is what you ought to do. Look at the words and think about them. Why did Paul use these words? What's his purpose behind these words? That other word is brethren or brothers. So let's just kind of think about Paul's been giving some pretty harsh warnings to the Galatians, hadn't he? In fact, when we talked a couple of weeks ago in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he basically told them, you're on the front edge of apostasy. You are about to fall over the cliff of apostasy, and if you do this, you cannot claim to be Christians. If you serve the law as a means of salvation, you're not Christians. You can't do this. He's been giving them these massive warnings about what's about to happen if they do this. But this is Paul's pastoral heart, I think, calling them brothers. Because to me, this tells me that Paul still has hope. He still has hope that they're right there on the edge, but they haven't gone over the edge because he's treating them as brothers. He's encouraging them. He's trying to wrap his arms around them, as it were, and encourage them to come back. So brothers is, I think, really an important verse in here, and it really, a word, it really shows us Paul's pastoral heart, despite these harsh warnings. So now Paul's going to turn and teach us how we ought to use this freedom we have in Jesus Christ in the church. Give me a second here to turn back. I flipped over to Romans and I'm out of place here. So, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So that word he uses for opportunity just can mean like a, a pretext or truly an opportunity. So how could we turn our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ into an opportunity for the flesh? So let's keep that question in the back of your mind. So let's talk a minute about the flesh. So what does this word mean? I mean, it can just, it can just mean like normal skin, right? Because John says... 
uh, that the word became flesh, that Jesus Christ became a man, right? Became, he was fully God and he took on a human nature. That human nature, we know in Jesus, was sinless and perfect. It was flesh, though so was, he, was, he was a man. As Dusty's been teaching us in Hebrews, he was fully man, right? So in that sense, flesh can be just neutral. But Paul's using it in a little bit different way here, isn't he? And what could this mean, this word flesh, in this kind of context? Because it's an opportunity for sin, basically. Yeah, shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? That's right. He's talking, he's equa- it's very good. He's equating flesh with sin, right? That's a great, that's a great verse, Romans 6, 1. How about turn over to Ephesians 2. Let's look at this. Ephesians 2 and verse 3. Because in this context, in this use of the word flesh, there are also other words that often, often get associated with it that help us understand what Paul means, right? Ephesians 2 verse 3. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So is that very good? Good insight from Romans 6.1, associated with sin. So what other, what other features does this verse tell you about flesh? What's associated with it? What are some of the words Paul uses here? Desires, yeah. Lust, that's right. Indulging. So we kind of get that sense that this is the sinful part. This is the sinful nature, isn't it? The flesh in this context, and Paul uses this frequently. I gave you another reference we won't look at, but Peter uses it too at 1 Peter 2.11, and he also associates it with lust and desires. So in that sense, there is a sense where this is the fallen human nature, right? This is the flesh. And they use that word. It's the same word, the Greek word sarx. It's the same word that's used for the word became flesh, but in this context, it's really associated with our fallenness before God in our sinful nature. And again, I think they use the word flesh because a lot of our sins just come out through the flesh, don't they? Through our tongue, the way we say things, right? Just immoral behavior sometimes, just actions. All of this, the thoughts that come out, it comes out through our flesh frequently, right? So, okay, so that's flesh. So that's kind of what Paul means. Good answers. How can we use our freedom, though, for an opportunity to basically to sin in the flesh? Our freedom in Christ, how can that happen? Yeah, very good. So James said, sin, knowing that we'll be forgiven. So we just kind of sin freely. He said, nah, God will deal with it. I'll, I'll, I'll kneel down beside the bed and go through my list <laughs> right before I go to sleep, right? right? That's how we tend to deal with it sometimes, right? Who else? This is good. How else can we use our freedom we have in Jesus Christ as an opportunity for the flesh? Think about how ways that we might we might just sin. We're going we're to get pretty detailed on this here in just a second. 
because Paul's going to talk about it in detail. In fact, let's look in, let's, let's go ahead and look down the chapter a little bit. Let's look in verses 19 through 21 of Galatians 5. Paul's going to give us a little bit of insight into what was going on in the church of Galatia. And I'm kind of preempting whoever's teaching this passage after me a little bit. But let's just talk about it because we need to tie all this together. But, and remember, these are the things that he's writing to the Galatian believers in the church. Verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Let's just stop there a minute. That almost certainly went on. We know... For example, in the church at Corinth, Paul dealt with gross immorality, right? Paul had to deal with it. Some of that was no doubt still going on in the church and still goes on in the church today because people are sinners, right? The deeds of the flesh, some of those are frankly immoral things. Idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife. Okay, so we're not just frankly adulterers or doing all those bad things, but Think about these things that may be going on in the church. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, factions. You know, Paul dealt with that, right? I'm of this teacher, I'm of this teacher, I follow this teacher, right? I believe this, these set of, te- you know, those kind of things go on in the church nowadays, right? I'm, I'm a follower of such and such Bible teacher. I'm a follower of such and such Bible teacher, right? It's, it. It all is kind of the same, isn't it? Disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these of which I forewarn you that just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are not becoming Christians, saints, those who've been called to freedom by Jesus Christ. So those are the kind of things that Paul is telling us Don't let your freedom in Jesus Christ, what he's done for you, become a pretext or an opportunity to just continue in these things, like James said, so that at the end of the day, I just ask God to forgive me and all is well, right? That's not who we are as Christians. And again, Paul's going to teach us in this chapter what the real fruit should be, what should really happen in our lives when we become Christians, that all of that should change, that we should become followers of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit should work through us and show forth that work of Christ in our lives. So again, these are almost certainly issues that were going on into the church at Galatia. And it's very easy for us to fall into these sins, right? These days, it's easy for us, even in Bible churches, isn't it, to get into these these disputes. Think about the disputes and the factions that may happen among us that tend to divide the church. I mean, I've seen it. You probably have too who've been in churches for many years in in other churches. My wife and I saw a mini split, a major split over a homeschool, public school, that kind of, those kind of issues. And those kind of things are what divide us as Christians. Those kind of things, you know, or do our kids go to public school or homeschool or private school or whatever, we make those big things that just divide us into fact, and they shouldn't. In Jesus Christ, none of those things should separate us from him. And those are exactly the kind of things, factions, that Paul is talking about. How about politics? <laughs> right? Right? Politics divides. I mean, there should be things that we should have a clear moral consensus on as believers. The Word of God addresses clearly 
But often we use politics to divide us into there are such and such people. They vote for such. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we should love one another in the church of Jesus Christ and have consensus over the moral issues. But we shouldn't let these kind of things divide us from one another because that is an opportunity for the flesh to come out for the flesh to come out and divide the church. And Satan wins, right? Satan wins when that happens, when he divides the church. But we need to love one another. We're going to talk about that too, loving and serving one another. So that's the next great part. Galatians 5 and 13, the last half of this verse. What does Paul say is the answer? What is the absolute opposite of serving the flesh? That is, through love, serve one another. And again, let's go back to what I was talking about earlier. This is not just the amorphous love that our society talks about, that that Lenin talked about, and all you need is love, right? This is love that is very specific. This is Christian love. In fact, let's turn over. I'm I'm just drawing from all of Paul's writings, you know, because... There's a rich treasury of the New Testament out there. There's a rich treasury of many of Paul's writings. And, you know, many of these letters circulated among the churches. So the letters that Paul wrote to one church, they circulated to all the other churches too. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's talk about what Christian love is. You know, this is the great passage, isn't it, on love. But does anybody know the background to this passage? What was Paul talking about in chapter 12? Does anybody know kind of what was going on in the church at Corinth? Got it, brother. What's that? Gifts. gifts, right. The gifts of the Holy the gifts given by the Holy Spirit, right? But what was happening in that church? What was Paul dealing with? The gifts are given by God, by the Holy Spirit, but what was happening in the church at Corinth? Talking about factions and divisions and all the things that can happen in the church. Well, there weren't Judaizers there. (laughs) That's a good answer for Galatians, Tim. Yeah. But there were a lot of factions over the gifts of the Spirit and what was going on in the church at Corinth. In fact, we know that uh, even at the Lord's Supper, this affected the Lord's Supper. They came together. The early church would come together as a meal for the Lord's Supper um, and share the Lord's Supper, and men would stand up and teach. In fact, there are some Bible churches that still do that. Bev and I came out of Believer's Chapel and, and one of their church plants many, many, many years ago who still had what they call it the open meeting, trying to mimic the New Testament. But men would stand up and teach and preach and give out psalms and hymns as they felt the Lord led them. And, uh, but it was being abused, and there were great dissensions, and people were abusing the Lord's Supper. And so Paul is is coming to them to tell them there has to be a better way. There is a better way. You have to love one another. And so that's the context of chapter 13, is all the dissension that was going on in the functioning of that church through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they were misusing. And I, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, because the prophecy was a gift given by the Holy Spirit in those days, at those times, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So Paul's saying, if I have all these gifts the Holy Spirit has given, that God has given, but I have love, it is nothing. It means nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, 
And if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So if I'm the greatest philanthropist, if I exceed Bill Gates, right? <laughs> philanthropist, right? Or if I'm the, a martyr, you know, like the Fox's Book of Martyrs, if I'm a martyr and don't have love, it means nothing. This is what Christian love is. And this is, think about how this should work in the church. We talked about factions and divisions and all of this and how we get at one another's throats over things. Love is patient. Love is kind, is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoice with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Just think about that. Paul is saying even those gifts that were operative in that day, in the first century, we don't see them operative now. Paul, and they, they, they are, in that sense, gone. And that's Paul predicted this. But love doesn't fail. All these other things that should bind us together in the spirit of unity in the church so we don't have dissensions about where we send our kids to school or who we vote for or, all the, or which teachers we listen to or even sometimes the non-essential elements of theology that we debate about, eschatology and you know, the, the, points, the finer points of the doctrines of grace, all of this. Those should never divide us in the church of Christ. In fact, we should, we should be kind and patient Seek the other's good. So there's another passage I want you to look at too. Galatians 5.16. We can only do this by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's how we do this. That's how we're able to love. That's how we're able to be patient, to be kind, to forbear one another is only in the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk in the Holy Spirit. We walk in the Holy Spirit as we spend time with Him, as we love Him, as we're in His Word, we're in prayer, we get to know Him, we know His mind, we know who He is. That's how we walk with the Spirit because He teaches us. The Spirit is in us to teach us. He's in us to bring us to Christ. He does it through His Word. That's how we do that. Paul also gave us Great instruction in Philippians 2, how we do this, how we can love one another. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. He gives us the example of Jesus Christ in this, right? Christ who went to the cross and died for us. Christ who is God and man. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I mean, isn't that the strong ethic in the church of Christ, in our church? That should be the ethic in our church. We look out for the interests of others. You know, we look out for other people who are hurting. Have you, have you ever, let's just say this, at the end of service as you're talking to people, you really sense people are hurting. There are things going on in their lives. You know, and you got to get out the door, right? you got to get to lunch, all these things. But there's those times when we have to say, you know what? That can wait. Let's just go sit down somewhere and talk. 
let's just go sit down somewhere and pray together. You know, that's putting other people's interests. That's how we put legs to this. That's how we make this work in the church is we look out for those who are hurting, those who are needing, those who need us to wrap our arms around them and minister to them, putting their interests first. Those are the kind of things, and I see that going on here at Northlake all the time, and I encourage you just to do it more and more because that's what builds the body of Christ. That's what protects us from factions and dissensions and division in the church. Let's look at one more passage, and this is a great passage, and I love this passage. This is Colossians 3 because our memory verses for small group are coming out of this passage. In fact, we talked a lot about it at small group this past Thursday. Colossians 3. Again, Paul teaches us so much in his letters how we as the body of Christ who have Christ working in us, how we ought to live together, live together in Christ. And this is such a great passage. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, again, that's that, that's that sense of we've been called, we've been chosen of God. You have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let me just stop there a moment. When I read that, I think about Christ. When I read those words, I think about Jesus Christ, right? If you, as you read the Gospels, you think about all of this played out in his life, right? Jesus, how many times does it say in the Gospels, he looked at the multitudes and had compassion on them, even though those multitudes, many of whom didn't believe in him, he had compassion on them. He healed them. Everywhere he went, he healed the sick. He had great compassion on them. Humility. You know the humility of our Lord. He went to the cross for us. The kindness he showed people, except for the Pharisees, right? No, the Pharisees need to be dealt with, right? His gentleness with people, his patience, patience with the disciples, right? Patience with those fishermen. That's our Lord. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Again, think about that, how we start to get in these little factions and divisions, and we start to have these little disagreements about just small things in the church. Paul says, forgive one another, bear with one another. In fact, in Galatians 6, 2, he'll say, to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. That's how we should function in the, in the church. Again, this is how love works itself out. This is how love serves everybody in the church of Jesus Christ. This is what love is, being patient, being kind, bearing with one another, all of these things. And beyond all these things, put on love. There it is. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's the perfect bond because it ties all of these things together, all the ways that we serve one another in the church. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and th with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So that's the other thing, is we always have to remember, we do this because we serve the Lord Christ. We love him, we serve him. Everything you do, I see the guys out here parking. 
They're serving the Lord Christ. They're serving you and they're serving the Lord Christ. As we break up at the end of the morning and everybody's doing chairs and all the work that goes on, you're serving one another, you're helping one another, but you're serving Christ. That's who you're serving. You're serving him and you're worshiping him. If you're back in the nursery changing dirty diapers, (laughs) yuck, they're serving Christ, right? People have to do that. You're serving him when you do that. Everything you do in the church is in service. And it's in love. It's in love to those parents when you're back in the nursery because they're getting to sit and worship, right? You're loving them. They may not sense it in that way, but you're loving them. That's how you're showing love in the church. So this is how Paul would have us to live in the church. Not in the flesh, not in dissensions, but in serving and loving one another. If you have an issue with a brother, sit down with them. Sit down with them and deal with it, right? Let's love one another. Let's bear with one another. Let's forgive one another in the church. So love, as Paul would say, it's both the reason why we serve others and it is, in fact, the manner how we serve others. Okay, so let's turn from that to verse 14. And Paul is now going to make an interesting turn to talk about the law. In fact, these verses are very much tied together because if we do these things in the church of Christ, if we love and serve one another, we show forth to the world that we're his disciples, we will in fact fulfill the law. And I think this is a paradox. It's a great irony, isn't it? In fact, Paul is gonna say in verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Interestingly, when was the last time, it's in this chapter, that Paul used that word, that phrase, whole law? Think about it. I'll give you a hint. It was two weeks ago. It's in verses 1 through 6. Verse 3, that's right. Yeah, Paul said, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law, right? So Paul, I think this is, this is very intentional. Paul is telling him, if you want to keep the law as a means of trying to be saved, but you can't, right? We talked about this. You can't supplant Christ without supplanting him, right? You can't just add to your faith to be a better Christian and to be saved, you've, you've supplanted Christ. Paul says, you're in an obligation to keep the whole law. Now Paul is going to tell us, guess what? If we serve Christ as love in, in the church and do all these things that we've just talked about, you're just in essence fulfilling the law. You're fulfilling the heart of God's law by believing in Christ, by serving him. So this is an interesting quote you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We know that this is often quoted in the New Testament, particularly it came from the lips of our Lord himself, right? But this comes right out of Leviticus 19.18. This was not one of the Ten Commandments, right? But in the midst of a bunch of uh, various and sundry laws that the Lord was giving to people, this, this phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is buried right there in the middle of Leviticus 19 verse 18. In fact, the Lord had been talking to the, to the Israelites through Moses that, in fact, he, in starting verse 9, he said that you know, when you reap the harvest, you, you should leave the corners so you can 
serve the poor. Same thing with your vineyards. You shall, not, uh, you shall leave some for the, for the needy. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name. So as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So multiple verses in this chapter 19, he's talking about how the people of Israel should serve one another, should care for one another in that context. Then he just comes to verse 18 and he says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself I am the Lord. So I think this is a curious verse. But when he says, I am the Lord, God is saying, because this is who I am. And if you do these things, you will be loving me and honoring me because this is who I am. And this is how I want you to behave. So let's look at a little, a couple of verses of how our Lord used this, this passage. Matthew, let's look, look at Matthew 22, verse 35. It's good that I turn because if I turn, it gives you time to turn, right? So, <laughs> 22 verse 35. So, you know, the, the context of this was the Sadducees had come to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, what if a man is married to a woman and he dies without sons? And then, you know, and then it's, it's, it's the uh, seven brothers for one bride, right? Anybody know the old movie, Seven, seven Brothers, Seven Brides, right? Well, this is, this is seven uh, brothers for one bride, right? And... What do they do in the resurrection? Whose, whose wife will she be? And Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and uh, so dealt with the Sadducees. So now the Pharisees come and think they're going to put him to test. The, the Sadducees failed. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, and this is the Shema Israel that, that Jesus quotes. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. You know, that, that passage is, Hear Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jesus quotes that, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus goes right back to that passage in Leviticus and says, The second is just like it. It's just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, so I won't, I won't go there, but there's the great passage about the Good Samaritan, you know, where the, the man came to Jesus and talked with him the same kind of test. And Jesus, they quoted this verse, you shall love your neighbor. And Jesus, and he said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus pointed out, it's not just your kinsmen, but it's those you hate, those you don't love, the, the Good the Samaritan. So let's look at, so, so that's, that's the curious question is, why does Paul bring in this verse of all verses that if we love one another in the church, we will fulfill this command that we shall love our neighbor as ourself. Look at Romans 13, verse 8. I think Paul has the answer to this. Why did Jesus bring this in? And why does Paul bring this in? Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, nor shall you commit, nor uh, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, 
And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So I think what Paul is saying is, if you can't do these things in the church, if you can't love your neighbor, and in that context, neighbor is us. It's the body of Christ, although the neighbor can also be expanded to those outside the body. But if you can't love your neighbor in the body of Christ and do these things, if we can't bear with one another, if we can't forgive one another, if we can't be kind and patient with one another, you can't love God. You can't because this is the heart of God. That's why the Lord said it in in Leviticus, I am the Lord. This is who I am. This is who I want out of my people. John tells us this very explicitly too. 1 John 4 verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So this is exactly the importance Paul is attributing to this verse. This is exactly why he put it right there in Galatians 5.14. Brothers and sisters, you can't live in the flesh and say that you love God. You can't do these things and say that you truly belong to him and love him because those who love him will not do these things. That's the importance. And that's why I think Paul brought this in at this point in Galatians 5. Love, serving in love is just an act of worship. And that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. If we truly belong to him, we have to serve one another to worship him to show that we truly belong to him. And that's the witness also to the outside world. So Paul's going to end this chapter, uh, this, uh, not this chapter, but this section with verse 15. What are the consequences if we don't do these things? What was happening in the church of Galatia? He's very vivid, as he has been in Galatians. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So that's the consequences, right? If we don't do this, the... the imagery is is just visible i mean you could think of the lions in the Colosseum, biting and devouring one another biting and devouring christians that's exactly what happens in a church is if we don't do these things we just tear one another apart we just consume one another and it in fact destroys the church of christ so those can be the consequences if we don't do these things so let's look at a couple of thoughts a couple of applications of this passage. I think this is such a rich passage just again to think about how we ought to serve one another in the church of Christ. These are just reflective questions. What is your heart attitude toward your brothers and sisters at North Lake? Think about this. Paul is getting right to the attitude in many of those passages we read today. What is our attitude towards one another? Do we see one another as an opportunity to serve? This verse, Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do we seek to have the heart of Jesus Christ as we interact with one another and as we serve one another? And are you looking for opportunities to serve one another and thus serve the Lord? Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. The Lord Jesus said that. So, There are a lot of opportunities to serve here at North Lake Bible Church. (laughs) Are you looking for opportunities? And they don't have to be formal, designated opportunities to serve. But like I was talking about, 
a brother or sister in need, someone you just sit down and pray with, someone that you say, you know what? I'll just pray with you. Let's just talk regularly. Let's just pray together. I want to encourage you. I want to help. People are hurting. People are dealing with sin. There are things that are going on all the time, not just this body, but everybody, because we're still on that pathway of sanctification. But people need you. They need you to reach out to them and to partner and bond with them. And by the way, that's a plug here for Drew. That's why small groups are so important. Because if you get in a small group, then you get in a group that loves one another, that prays for one another, that can share with one another, that can hold each other accountable. How do you love yourself and love your neighbor in the same way? So think about how you love your own self and think about reflecting that back in loving others. That's Paul's big command in Ephesians 5 about marriage, that husbands ought to love our wives, you know, as we love ourselves, right? And as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Is your heart to build the body of Christ and avoid anything that would tear down another believer? And this is a great, great quote from Romans 14. I love this verse. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So let's make that our goal. That should be our goal, that we, we build one another up in Jesus Christ. That's our goal, that at the end of the day, when the Lord takes us home, we can look back and say, that was my life, serving my brothers and sisters at North Lake Bible Church, building them up, giving myself to them, making them more important than myself. So that's a mouthful, isn't it? So here's a challenge. Find somebody today or whenever. Tell them you love them and tell them why. Think of ways you can serve in the body here at Jesus Christ and look for those opportunities as we fellowship with one another this morning. Look for ways that you might serve somebody. You might just pray for them. That You might listen to their needs, not just casual conversation. Well, let's pray and let's close. <coughs> Lord, we just thank you for your word. It just so challenges our hearts. And oh God, we, are, we still deal with sin. We still deal with our own selfishness. Oh Lord, help us to see Christ. Help us to see the cross, how great he is, what he has done for us. And may that fill our hearts with love and joy and the desire to serve. Give us strength, Lord, in all we do. Build this body close in Jesus Christ that we might bear with one another and love one another. In his name we pray, amen.